0: Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Thanks for joining us, and I invite you to pray with me right now. Father, we are grateful that you are here with us. We stand in your presence. Some of us are sitting, some of us are in different places all around the world, but we know that you are right here right here with us. And so we rely on you knowing that we are broken vessels. There is nothing that we can do on our own. So we trust you. We believe in you. And I know that you are there waiting for us to come. So we pray that we would each be faithful in knowing that you are not only our God, but our Savior and our friend. May we take this opportunity. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, I didn't grow up in Florida, so for me, orange juice was a pretty rare experience. And even when it did happen, it was frozen concentrate from a can. I'll never forget coming down to Florida for the very first time and stopping at the Welcome Center. And they were giving out free, fresh-squeezed orange juice. I'd never had fresh-squeezed orange juice before, so I thought, oh, my, what is this? And I remember asking the lady at the, at the counter, I said, what did you put in this orange juice to make it taste so good? Now, she looked at me a little bewildered, and she said, it's simply just orange juice. I soon learned the difference between processed orange juice and fresh-squeezed orange juice. Simply Orange Juice. Now, there is a company, actually, that has used that word or that title and has made uh, pretty much an entire business out of it. And I, it's true. I looked at the label. I, it says Simply Orange Juice. I looked at it, and there really is nothing added. And it it is uh, just orange juice. So I thought it would be a really good t- thing for us to use this title as a way of looking at the gospel. Nothing Processed Nothing added, just simply the gospel. So that's what this series is about, simply good news. I remember an episode of Seinfeld a few years ago. It's probably one of my favorite. Jerry, the, um, the main star of the program, he, he was told by his friends that there was this soup stand serving soup that he just had to check out because it was beyond delicious. So Jerry goes down a block or so to the soup stand, but he soon finds out that there's a catch. As good and desirable as the soup was, there was a huge problem. If you did anything to set off the owner of the stand, he would immediately banish you from the store and shout out, no soup for you. Well, my wife and I were in New York a few years ago, and and. We had soup at that place where they had gotten the idea from. However, there was no soup Nazi, and the soup was just okay. But there was another place a few miles away in Brooklyn that everybody was telling us about had wonderful pizza. So we took the subway, and then a bus, and we walked a few blocks, and finally we got to it. You couldn't miss it. There was a line out this store about almost a half a mile long down the sidewalk. But as we got closer to the window, everyone started saying to us, hey, you better have your order ready. Otherwise, they'll send you to the back of the line. And as we got a little bit closer, they also said, and by the way, they don't take substitutes. No special orders. You just better stick to the menu. Read it or say it exactly the way it reads. I thought... Wow, this is sort of like the pizza Nazi. I was getting a little anxious, to be honest with you. I was truly nervous getting up to the window. My wife said to me, she goes, Well, maybe we should rehearse what we're going to say. I don't think I I really was all that pleased about getting to the window. I was a nervous wreck by the time I got there, thinking, Was I going to get my order right? Was I going to be ready? for this so i thought about this experience in light of the gospel it's quite interesting when you think about it something so incredibly good and in this case so highly essential there are some who would take advantage of this opportunity to leverage its attractiveness so as to limit its availability to those maybe more deserving or willing to pay the price so to speak The leaders of the church were always complaining to Jesus about this very topic. They asked, why do you hang around with tax collectors and sinners? In essence, what they were saying, these people don't deserve your company. So why are you wasting your words on those who are not even worth saving? But Jesus made it clear to the leaders of his day that his good news was not for those who believe themselves to be righteous but for those in need of a savior. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, he says, you know, you put up so many roadblocks to the kingdom that not only do you hinder yourselves, but you're not allowing anyone else in either. There was a situation in the church, actually, that happened early on. The disciples were actually quite divided on this one. The Christian converts from Judaism were concerned that the Gentile converts, those Christians with no Jewish heritage, would slide into the church without meeting any of the same rigorous standards that they believed God had meant for all of his children, the same ones that they had to keep themselves. One of those standards was circumcision. In Acts, we read about this issue that had come to the forefront. This is what it says. The news traveled fast, and in no time, the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it. They heard that non-Jewish outsiders were now in. And when Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of the old associates concerned about circumcision called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name? You see, at this time, Peter was conflicted. He was a Jew and felt strongly about his heritage. So how could he break with this Jewish solidarity? Well, Paul helps him out a little bit on this one. Let me read what it says in Galatians. Earlier, this is what Paul's writing, earlier, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. But when the conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and the non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was about the conservative Jewish clique that had been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along with the crowd. This is what he writes in response to that, just a little later on in the chapter. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. Paul was helping us understand that the gospel, the good news was, be, be, was being proclaimed to the lost and the understanding that God is redeeming all of his children, not only those who followed his rules, but to those who broke the rules as well. This, in a way, has always puzzled people who are trying to live in obedience to God. If it's good news that someday my life will be better because I'm following the right path, wouldn't it just make sense that it's eventually going to be bad news for those who followed the wrong path? So why is the gospel simply good news for all people? Well, Jesus helps us out with this. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this famous story of a father who has two sons. Most of us have heard this story. It's been told in a variety of ways for hundreds of applications. The youngest son asks to leave the homestead, takes his share of the estate, and then through a number of bad choices finds himself penniless, ashamed, and regretful of the day he left. However, there's another side to this, right? There's an older brother. A brother who's done the right thing. He's stuck with the home business, he made the right decisions, and best of all, he never asked for his share of the inheritance to be liquidated. In his mind, he's probably thinking, he's what's keeping the family business afloat. And then there's the father. The father who's pictured in this story as the one who waits, who watches, and longs for his younger son to return. One can only assume that the older brother got pretty tired of that pretty quickly. He might have even thought, Dad, you're wasting your time. But herein lies not only the truth about the gospel, but the reason why it is such incredibly good news for all people. First of all, God never wastes anything. The father knew that life away from him was no life at all. But the Good news, actually, great news, is that the Father is always ready. There's not a day that goes by that he's not there ready. This is why Jesus was so emphatic about proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now. God is standing at the door knocking. That's present tense. But I want to notice another piece of the story. You see, when the son finally came walking home, it says that the father lavished him with all of these things that signified that he had all the established family status back. And then there's the father, who says, Let's have a party! Let's kill the fatted calf! All of this was being done way before the older son had any input at all. And when the father calls the fatted calf to be killed, He uses this word. It's not the same as slaughter the calf. No, it's a word that actually signifies sacrifice. In other words, what he's saying is this calf that was meant for a special occasion is now the one we're going to use, this one-fatted calf, because this occasion outstands any other occasion. Listen to the words of the older brother when he finally gets wind of this. You kill the fatted calf. In all honesty, he's kind of right. Doesn't seem fair, does it? What in the world is good about this for the son who stayed at home? There doesn't seem to be any reason to do the right thing. Where's the motivation? Where's the fairness? Where is the appreciation? Do you ever think that maybe the reason why we don't really grasp the gospel is because we fail to really see God? It's the reason for Christ telling this story. It's the real prodigal, the lavish love of God. He knows we've added way too much to the story about ourselves. The younger brother adds the fact that he puts his eyes on, on the father. So the father sees him as repulsive, but the older brother has added conditions to the father's love. The older brother looks at this fatted calf as being a scarcity. He sees this scarcity as being that there's not going to be enough to go around, and if there's anybody that should get something, it should be me. But the scarcity is not the fatted calf. The scarcity is that the father does not have his sons with him. And I say sons because Christ wipes away all of this. He wipes away what was, what was kind of going through their minds and he puts them at rest. And this time, look what he says to the older son. Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. Everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. It's a time that his son didn't see. You see, we had to celebrate this brother of yours. He knows the two are separate at this time. Now he says, this brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Make no mistake. The father is well aware of these two sides. He understands how we can get it wrong quite easily. But the point of this is not that he favors one over the other. No, the point is that there is no joy, no peace, and no life outside of his presence. It doesn't matter how many rules you break or keep, if you're making it about you. You see, the truth of the gospel is that God, yes, has always been ready. The father in this story never stopped waiting. He goes after both his sons. He was always there, ready for both brothers to open their hearts to him. That is the truth about the gospel. And that is the truth about God. But the good news in the story, the good news in the gospel, is in the simple notion that God is inviting. God is knocking. God is ready for us to come. And we must see ourselves as He sees us and truly believe right now that we too are ready. All we have to do is simply come.
1: Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. And our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the whole life takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church